You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Andrew, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. I know a lot of you are here for the first time watching someone whom you love deeply being baptized, the families of whom you love deeply, um, and the candidates themselves are the ones who were baptized. So welcome to Grace Community Church. Uh, I've got just a couple of uh, quick announcements to reiterate um, <clears throat> from earlier, one from earlier and one other one. Uh, we need children's ministry workers. We just need them. <laughs> and if we don't get children's ministry workers, we're going to have children in here. And that means many of you are going to be doubling up on your seats. So we uh, just want to encourage you, if you are able to serve in children's ministry, please pray about it. Please pray about it. Once a month, that's all. And uh, the return will be enormous. You will be blessed beyond measure. And then, speaking of children, we have another, I want to mention one other thing. This past Wednesday night, we had our first parenting class. I know others of you, uh, some of you who were planning to be here were otherwise engaged, but... We will do this the third Wednesday of every month between now and May, except for December. So uh, I want to encourage every adult to be here. Those of you who have raised your children already, we need to hear from you what worked, what didn't work. Uh, those of you who have children, of course, you, well, no, we do have several perfect parents in here. But uh, other than those of you, Please, you ought to be here. It would be very good for you. And we do have child care. So if it's possible for both of you to be here, that would be awesome. If just one can be here, that's awesome as well. Um, and then uh, those of you who hope to have children someday uh, or who plan to adopt, whatever, we would love for you to be in on this class. So we'll make more of that coming up in mid-October um, I, I know it's the week of the state fair, NC State Fair, but be here anyway. It's more important that you are here than being at the fair, being pickpocketed or something like that. <laughs> so here's uh, the question for this morning. Not every Sunday starts with a question, but a lot do. Do you like music? That, that's a silly question. Every body likes music, whether you can keep a tune or not. We all like music. Some of you listen only to Christian music. Others of you listen to classical and hip-hop and, and, and bluegrass and classic rock. If you're a bluegrass fan, it's coming up this week. This, I believe it's this, this coming weekend in Raleigh, the Bluegrass Festival, which is pretty amazing that Raleigh has that. Uh, does anyone here like ballads? Anybody like ballads? Okay, I see both of you right together. Uh, <laughs> Jim and Diane McLaughlin, and there's someone over here, I think. Yes, uh, I like ballads because I like, ballads are songs that tell a story. Think Danny Boy. But even though you may have some Irish, Scotch-Irish accent in your mind when you're thinking about ballads, um, it, it, the word is actually a French word, and it is, um, it, 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 the word ballet comes from the same root. Ballads were first written as music for dance. We had considered having a couple of elders doing 
some interpretive dance one day, but the competition was so stiff, we said, look, let's just, just forget it. I like songs that tell a story. I like, I just, that's why I like ballads. And in the book of Isaiah, there are four servant songs. And while these are nothing like ballads in their structure, they very much tell a story. What are exactly the four servant songs in Isaiah? They are poem, poems in Isaiah's prophecy that point to an individual who will save God's covenant people from their sins. That is a massive claim. Maybe you've never thought about this before. Um, but God did not send Jesus to save us from ourselves. He sent Jesus to save us from himself. God is a holy and righteous God, and our sins have separated us from God. And something had to be done if we were to be made in right relationship or be put back in right relationship with God. So these servant songs are talking about one who is coming to deliver God's people from their sins. By the way, we are, for many of you who are here for the first time and maybe only time, we're in a study in the book of Isaiah. We're all the way up to chapter 49. We'll be through by Thanksgiving with the book of Isaiah. Uh, and these four servant songs, though, written between Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 53, point to one who is going to do something uh, remarkable. Sometimes... Uh, if you're not studying Isaiah carefully, you'll, you'll, you'll fail to see that sometimes Isaiah is referring to the nation of Israel. Other times he is referring to this specific individual who is going to do an amazing thing. Uh, and, and when you analyze the language, you ha have to conclude that this servant who is going to do these remarkable things on behalf of the people is going to be a human being, but he's also going to be divine. And the Jewish mind would have found that extremely difficult to uh, understand. Uh, the, the people of God, the covenant people of Israel, were, Israel were not looking for a human being that would be divine. Messiah, they had a concept of Messiah. Is he divine? Well, God's spirit is upon him, but he is a human being that is anointed with very special giftings from God and power from God. So they couldn't get their minds wrapped around that this one will be divine, but still, it's what Isaiah seemed to imply. And I imagine they just kind of like, ah, well, okay, I don't get it. We know it can't be that, so it must be. Let's interpret this another way. Since the term servant is used 40 times in the book of Isaiah, 31 of which occur between Isaiah 40 to 66, how do you know when Isaiah is referring to the nation of Israel and when he's referring to the divine Messiah? And does it matter? Well, hopefully today's message will bring some clarity. Isaiah 49, verse 1 through Isaiah 53 marks the second of these four servant uh, songs. In the first servant song, back in Isaiah 42, we learned that Yahweh's servant, the Messiah, would not be like the brutal rulers who came in and devastated lands and people when they conquered them. But he would be gentle 
and, and, and would not break the bruised reed. He would, in fact, bring healing to people who had been badly treated. Um, it, it's, it is true, though, that this ruler would establish justice in the earth. Now, not at his first coming. It wasn't fully, but there's going to be a second advent. And in between the first and second servant songs, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, King Cyrus of Persia was introduced as a deliverer of the people. The people were in Babylon. They're in captivity. Just imagine if we had this on the screen. They're, they're in chains and they're very sad and despondent. Isaiah's uh, writing to these people who would be in captivity some 100, 150 years later. And then they're told, hey, Cyrus is going to deliver you. He's going to send you back to Jerusalem. That's where you want to go, isn't it? And <clears throat> King Cyrus was described with Messiah-like qualities. And it was kind of strange. It's like he's, the, the Lord said, he's my anointed. He's my chosen one. And although he would send many of God's covenant people back to Jerusalem, he could do nothing, Cyrus could do nothing about the spiritual needs of the people. Maybe everything in your life is exactly the way you want it to be. I mean, everything has gone just right or you've struggled to get where you are. Maybe it's not going just right, but you've persevered and life is good but there's just something missing inside. You know that you're not in the place that you ought to be, especially in relationship with God. Now, in this second servant song, the emphasis shifts from the physical captivity of the Israelites to their spiritual captivity, which would affect not only their, their, their condition on this earth, this temporal condition, this earthly condition, but their eternal condition as well. So in today's text, the servant's mission begins to take shape. God says, I'm going to send him. He's going to be like this. Now today he's saying, here's what he's going to accomplish. And then in 52 and 53, or <clears throat> later in 50 and, and then in 53, he's going to say, and this is how it's going to be accomplished. And it's astonishing indeed. The biggest uh, challenge in preaching through Isaiah is what to leave out. Sunday morning is not the time to go through a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study. Uh, it's rather a, a, a time in which the truth of a text is summarized in such a way that will assist us understanding the main point that God is getting across. <coughs> and it will help us to see <coughs> how this applies to our lives in the everyday, uh, week in and week out. Everyone who has preached during this series will tell you the same thing. You, have, you just cannot imagine what is left out of the sermon. Over and over and over, you just have to say, nope, nope, can't say that, don't have time to say that. <clears throat> this morning, and possibly in two weeks when we reach Isaiah 53, I'm going to go verse by verse through the text just to give you an idea of what it's like preparing for these messages and all of the truth is embedded in these verses. Um, <clears throat> Also, since this is a song that is telling a story or more like a poem in its Hebrew form, it is probably most helpful to look at this servant song in this way, just to go verse by verse. But there's no way we can cover all of the verses, 49, 1 through 50, verse 3. So we're just going to look at Isaiah 49, 1 through 16. 
Typically on Sunday morning when we get to the scripture, I will ask you to stand and, and read that text. But this morning, since we're going uh, verse by verse, we will not do there. Uh, a lot of the beautiful thoughts, I use several different commentaries and study notes to help prepare for this message. But a lot of the beautiful thoughts that you're going to hear today are found um, in, in, in John Oswald's outstanding Isaiah commentary in the New International Commentary on Old Testament series, N-I-C-O-T. I noticed that almost every person who preached during this, while I was gone in the summer, Alice and I were uh, flitting around Europe. You were here preaching this sermon, these, these uh, passages from Isaiah. And almost everybody said, John Oswald said this or said that. It's really an excellent commentary. One of the best that I've ever found on any text in Scripture. His commentary is that good, and so we're going to benefit from that this morning. Let's pray before we begin. Father, um, we come to you today recognizing that so many of the things that we worry about and think about and long for in our lives are really not the most important things. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts not only the great need that we have spiritually, but also the remedy for that need found in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love for us. Dear Father, for sending your Son, Jesus, and the Spirit who helps us understand and I pray that you will give us understanding of this Old Testament text uh, in light of the cross. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in this song, in this first verse, the ballad or the poem, the servant song of Isaiah, it begins with the servant speaking. The speaker is identified as Yahweh's servant in verse 3. And the New Testament shows how all the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. It's always pointing to Jesus. A lot of people think of the Bible as two stories. There's the Old Testament, a God of wrath. New Testament, a God of love and grace. No, he's the same God all the way through. It's the same story all the way through. There are two parts to this story, but it's one story all the way through. So, verse 1, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. As we have seen before in Isaiah, the Lord not only calls Israel to pay heed to what he's saying, but the whole world is called to pay attention. Since it is the servant speaking... Jesus is clearing his throat and he's typing them, tapping the microphone and he's saying, okay, oh, hello, is this thing on? No, he, he knows whether it's on or not, doesn't he? But Jesus is getting people's attention. He says, give attention, you peoples from afar. The servant whose name we would not know, uh, or excuse me, the, whose name we know, but the people of Israel would not know for another 700 years after Isaiah was written, 
This servant acknowledges that his calling was from his mother's womb. In fact, the Messiah was already named in Isaiah 7, 14. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. We're going to sing Emmanuel at the end of the service. Andrea wanted you to know why we're singing a Christmas song. That's why we're singing a Christmas song. I requested that this song be sung today. Because this is the one we're talking about. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God in our midst. In his first chapter, Matthew confirmed that the child Mary bore was the one prophesied in Isaiah. Now verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. This is reinforcing again the fact that the, the weapons that, that the Messiah used were not the weapons that uh, men and women use in our day. Uh, time and again in Isaiah, the power of God's word has been acknowledged as the determining factor in all of life. Whatever God says, that's what happens. Whatever God says, that's what we've got to pay attention to. Aren't you glad that the Lord does not speak indiscriminately as you do? I mean, as your, as your neighbors do. Not you, but your neighbors. Just speak anything that comes to their mind. Wouldn't that be one of the most awful things in the world to have no filter? And just say anything that comes to your mind. Sometimes I think Sunday morning after I've preached that that is exactly what my issue is. Well, God doesn't do that. Every word that he says is meaningful. When we get to Isaiah 55, just after fall break at CU, David Calvert will share the fruit of his labors uh, for his doctoral dissertation as he unpacks the implications of God saying, my word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God speaks it, it's done. Which is the beautiful thing that we've been learning recently. That the only way we can be righteous is not because we are righteous. Who amongst us has never sinned? Of course we've all sinned. And that ruins any claim of I'm righteous. But through Christ, God declares us righteous when we believe in Jesus. And if God says it's true, it's true. No matter how bad you feel. No matter how badly you've messed up. If you belong to him, you are righteous. And one of the things that blesses us in that understanding is that now I can live this way. Because if he says it, it's true. And he will enable me to live this way. Verses 3 and 4. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said... I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. There are a couple of technical points to make from verse 3 that will help you see a little bit of the interpretive process. Look, remember, sometimes in Isaiah the Lord's servant is the nation of Israel. Sometimes it's an individual. It's already been stated in this passage that the servant is an individual. And indeed, Isaiah is pointing to Jesus. 
though Isaiah wouldn't have known Jesus by that name. He, he had prophesied Emmanuel back in chapter 7. It's interesting, isn't it, that Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation and Jesus means Yahweh saves. In verse 3, Yahweh said to his servant, You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. So now wait, how can we say this is an individual if he's calling my servant Israel, the name of the nation? Uh, it's clear in the larger context that an individual is being identified. So here's the question, and this is a great principle to understand in Bible study. Should we look at the bigger context or should we look at that one little anomaly and throw it all out and say, no, it's, this is not, can't be an individual. There's a principle of interpreting scripture that you allow that which is clear to interpret that which is not as clear. Furthermore, uh, this servant song is Hebrew poetry. It's not a ballad. It's not structured like a ballad. It's not sung like a ballad. It's, it's, and, and, and in Hebrew poetry, it is standard practice to employ parallel thoughts for emphasis. In other words, you are Jesus. You, you are my servant. You are Israel. You're everything that Israel was supposed to be but wasn't. Hosea 11.1 1 prophesied, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Well, you may think of that as just recounting history, but Matthew 2.14 understands Hosea to have been pointing, pointing to Jesus, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So, Jesus is the Israel of God. If this servant is Jesus in Isaiah 49, then verse 4 is a bit of a curve. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with God. You would think that Jesus was discouraged about his mission. It's kind of like he comes and he's like, I'm a failure. Nobody's listening to me. The people that need to be listening to me, the leaders of Israel are not listening to. And you would be right in thinking that Jesus was discouraged. <coughs> Here's what John Oswald says. This will give you a little taste of this commentary. If the servant described in this passage is more than human, he is not less than human. Frustrations and feelings of futility, all too familiar to everyone who inhabits flesh, were part of the burden that he came to bear. Close quote. Wait, wait. Jesus was perfect and he understands the deep levels of my frustration and my temptations? Look, the only reason this Messiah is not too good to be true is that he was sent by the Father. Jesus taking on our flesh and living the life that we are forced to live with all of its limitations and all of its difficulties and frustrations and, and temptations. He lived it all, yet without sin. 
His trust in and obedience to the Father's will was complete despite the difficulties he faced. Verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Look, even though we're in the middle of a thought between verses 5 and 6, I want to stop and acknowledge for the second time today and the third time in three weeks, we find the Lord affirming life in the womb. There is no way we can characterize abortion as anything other than the taking of a life. Now look, if you have had an abortion, I my heart it is filled with compassion for you. And I want you to know that the Lord forgives any sin. But repentance requires us. True repentance that the Lord talks about requires us to call sin what it is and not to play around with it. And Well, you know, it's, well, circumstances. You just don't understand. No, call sin what it is and repentance can Take place and forgiveness takes place. 1 John 1 9 says this If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Gosh, there's so much about this, this verse I would like to tell you just quickly. The, the, the Greek tense is a present tense, which indicates a continual action unless there is a reason not to think of it that way. So, um, Continual, you know the difference between continual and continuous. I ate continually all day yesterday. That means I was grazing all day long. But it doesn't mean that from the first thing in the morning till the last thing at night, that would be continuously eating all day, just stuff in my mouth all day, which would not be a pretty sight on several levels. If we are continually confessing our sins, so in other words, You've probably heard people say, once you're saved, you don't ever have to ask God for forgiveness again. No, 1 John would beg to differ. 1 John indicates that this is a continual process that we need to constantly be coming to the Lord. Confessing our sins, another thing about this verse, and then he is faithful and just to be forgiving us our sins and to cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Um, it, the word confess is from a Greek word, homologeo, and it means to agree with, to um, state plainly. See, true repentance requires a willingness to plainly state our guilt. God has promised to forgive us and to cleanse us from any trace of unrighteousness when we do. Back to verse 5. The servant states that he understands his mission from Yahweh to bring wayward Israel back to the Lord. Not simply to get the people back to Judah and Jerusalem. We need to get our country back. Look, we never had our country to begin. We're in trouble. I think we all know that. We're screaming at each other. We're in trouble but our biggest need is not to make nice, our, which we should. As believers of all people, we ought to be kind and gentle 
as we, even if we disagree with other people, but our biggest need is to be brought back to the Lord and to be confessing our sins. <coughs> Excuse me, and to be loving one another deeply because love is the end of the law. So you keep the law, you're going to be loving people like you should. To break the law is to not love as you have been called to love. So, in verse 6, the mission is expanded to the entire world. He says, and now he's talking about Yahweh, talking to the servant. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's not enough for you to just bring, make the relationship between Israel and me good. I will make you, he says, as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's good news for us. Those of us who are Gentiles, God's salvation reaches to the ends of the earth. And then verse 7 is a summary of Jesus' perfect life, his lowly status, apparent failure of mission, and yet the successful fulfillment of his calling. Kings will fall prostrate before the formerly despised slave. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. The servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. People despised Yahweh. They, they did not like. And in our day, people Talk about God all you want to, but when you talk about Jesus, and especially when you say Jesus is the only way to salvation, people don't like that. They get angry and oppose you. It's good for us, for, for, for we who are Jesus followers, to remember not to be surprised when we find many in the world who have the same perception of us that they had of Jesus. We are sometimes despised and abhorred because of our relationship with him. And as the Savior told his disciples on the night before he was crucified in John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, this is a big thing. We have been given the responsibility of giving this word that, that changes everything, that, that directs everything on earth. That word comes through those who follow Jesus. And if people love God, they're going to love that word. If they don't love God, they're not going to love that word. But the New Testament over and over reminds us to be like Jesus when he was before his accusers. Silent, not opening his mouth, but entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. God is going to take care of you. In verses 8 to 13, we rejoice that the Savior's mission was an eternal success. We'll just read through these verses. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. 
I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages. <clears throat> Saying to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways on all bare heights where there should be no grass. That will be their pasture. <clears throat> they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised up. Beyond these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and those from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Bring forth, O mountains. Break forth into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on the afflicted. And so why wouldn't the heavens and earth rejoice? I, I read something from Spurgeon the other day in morning and evening. Allison and I were reading how the Lord never rejoices over his creation. He says it was good. But he rejoices over his people, his covenant people. I, I will break out into singing over my people. That's what God thinks of you. If you belong to Jesus, he loves you at that level. So why wouldn't the heavens and the earth rejoice? Even though Israel has broken God's covenant with the Lord, thus freeing him from his end of the bargain. There was a covenant. They made a covenant. You keep up your end, I'll keep up my end. Israel broke it. And not only did, did God say, I'm not giving up on you, but I'm going to take the punishment that your breaking of the covenant deserves. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, the Father poured out his righteous Wrath, not his indiscriminate wrath. Look, we were talking in the parenting class the other night about should you discipline children when you're angry? Well, it happens a lot, doesn't it? And sometimes you wish you hadn't <clears throat> disciplined your children in anger. You had waited. God never does anything just on the basis of imperfect emotions like we have. Everything that he does is perfect. So his righteous wrath, which was directed toward us, fell on Jesus. And he turned his back on him. And that's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did the Lord forsake Jesus when he was on the cross? Because he was paying for your sin. My sin. That really wicked thing that you did this week. Really wicked thing. That you hate yourself for? Or that teeny little sin that you, you thought about? Oh, nobody's perfect. It's all an offense to God. In the same way, when a mother cleans a house, she has everybody clean the house, and it's perfect because there are guests coming, and kids run in muddy and get footprints, muddy footprints all over the white carpet. Is that an offense to the mother? If you don't think so, you didn't grow up in, you know, the house that some of us did. That's an offense. Any little sin against God is an offense of far greater degree and consequence. And so Jesus 
took that wrath upon himself. And when he said, it is finished, it could also be translated to telestai, the Greek word, paid in full. I've paid for his sins. I've paid for her sins. All who will repent, and that means to call sin what God calls it. And to put their faith in Jesus, my only hope is what Jesus did for me. I believe in him. I will follow you all the days of my life. Does that mean we'll do it perfectly? No, it does not. We will be human until the day we die. But Jesus changes us and begins to bring about the kinds of things in our lives that we had only hoped for before. The servant songs inform us that instead of Yahweh turning away from his people, he will send the servant to live the life we are incapable of living and then offering his life as a sacrifice in our place that only he was eligible to make with his death. I can't die for you. You can't die for me. We all have to die for our own sins, but Jesus didn't have to. He was perfect, <clears throat> but he died in our place. That is cause for rejoicing, but there is, there is more. The Lord sets his the prisoners free. He lights the way for those in darkness. He feeds people as a shepherd. Even though the, the hills are bare. There's no grass anywhere. He feeds them. And, and then the servant is compassionate. And has pity on his people. Psalm 103 <clears throat> informs us. That Yahweh has pity on his children. Remembering that we are dust. And forgiving our sins. Removing our guilt as far as the east is from the west. And by the way, if um, you were struggling with guilt, with depression, may I encourage you in the next few days. I don't, I don't usually encourage this kind of thing because it gets out of hand. But go home, sit down with your Bible open to Psalm 103. Close your eyes, imagine yourself crawling up into the Lord's lap, let him put his arms around you. And then open your eyes and read Psalm 103. That's what, he, that's what he does for you. He loves you with a deep compassion, just like a father takes pity on his children. He loves you and forgives you at that level. So if the heavens and earth rejoice at God's goodness... His people automatically, in response, praise him uh, as the blessed ones they are, right? Well, uh, not exactly. Verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. The nation of Israel could not quit blaming God for their captivity, which is God, why God so frequently reminded them it was your sins that brought you here. Look, I know this doesn't answer all problems, all, all questions about evil in the world. Why is there evil in the world? Because our great, 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 great grandfather and mother sinned, Adam and Eve, and the world fell away from God. And only it's only in God's pursuit that anything is good, that anything good happens for any of us. And, and so living in that kind of a world, bad things are going to happen. And we've talked about this a lot this last few years. 
But the Lord's discipline of his children is not always punishment. It's sometimes it's just character building, just like you tell a child. You can't go out and play until your room is clean or your homework is done. That's discipline. Is that punishment? No. It's just building character. So a lot of the things that happen to us, even bad things that happen at the hands of other people, sometimes God is building character in our lives. And so the Lord's discipline is good for all of us. We are being made into the image of Christ, but we will be so tempted day in and day out. The Lord has forgotten me. And he's like, no, that's not the case. There is an answer. It's not your fault that things, terrible things have happened by any means. But when they happen, I love you. I am doing something in your life. The Judeans in Babylon thought that God had abandoned them. God assured them in verse 15 that he had not. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. I will not forget you. We know the answer to this question. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Yes. Some of you have come from homes where your mothers did not love you well. And that's a pain. It's, it's difficult. It makes all of life difficult. It, why? Because it's unnatural. And the Lord says, even though a mother may abandon her children, I will never abandon you. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. No matter what you are facing, God has not abandoned you. What does he think about you? Verse 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Do you remember those early days of falling in love? You remember what it was like Whenever you would see the name of your significant other. Uh, do you remember writing uh, his or her name in random places and on random forms of paper and wood and sand? Uh, look, the oldies remember Pat Boone, love letters in the sand. Um, the youngies don't even remember Debbie Boone, so I don't know why I brought that one up. Um, <clears throat> In Isaiah's day, it was common for those who were taken in captivity to have to give their arm or their back or their hands, and the name of the conquering king was engraved in their hand. It was, they took a knife and cut it and, it, and the point was, don't you forget whose you are, who you belong to. You belong to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Just think about what the Lord is doing, what he's saying here. It's like a reverse tattoo. He's saying, Julie, John, your name is engraved in my hand. I will never forget you. The latter part of the verse, your walls are continually before me, probably refers to the walls of Jerusalem, indicating God's love not only for individuals, but for the entire covenant community, which in these New Testament days <clears throat> is his church. So God loves us individually, and he loves us collectively. He has engraved 
our names on the palms of his hands. Well, there's not time to finish this second servant song, but I just want to give you a taste of the depths of the scripture that is in Isaiah that, that every single week, uh, those of us who study for the messages are discovering. I'm going to conclude this morning by re reading Isaiah 49.7 once again, and then Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which ties in with the text from the last time we were in, in Isaiah two weeks ago. First of all, Isaiah 49.7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Not only will the servant Jesus be exalted, but it goes on in the latter part that we're not reading to say that the people will be treated with that kind of dignity and respect as well. So that day is coming. Now, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Beautiful description of how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies about the servant of the Lord. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to, uh, held on to. But he emptied himself, not of his divinity, but some of the privileges of divinity. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, um, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and we do so to the glory of God. This day, as we think about the servant who came to earth as one of us, and I, there's no way for us to fully comprehend <laughs> the depths to which Jesus descended to be born in the form of a human, especially after Adam and his race had done such a poor job. But now the second Adam, the last Adam has come and got right what Adam could not seem to do. And accomplish and and he has died in our place and he will be exalted above all the earth he is exalted but in everyone's eyes and on their lips he will be exalted one day may he have that place in our hearts even now and it's in jesus name that we pray amen thank you for listening to audio from grace community church located in north carolina Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies. 
or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.